I grew up in New Jersey, in the suburbs of New York City. As my wife and I often say, we were completely ignorant as to the richness and abundance of Jewish life in the South and the Deep South. Like so many other Northeasterners, the world, and most definitely the Jewish world, revolved around New York and its surroundings. When I realized we would be moving to Georgia and my wife would become one of the rabbis at Temple Sinai, I echoed my grandmother's voice in my head. There are Jews in Georgia? My ignorance persisted and stayed with me even as we moved to Georgia, as I made assumptions about people I met that first year. One such person was Sam Elrod. We were out to dinner with him and his wife after an Israel event, and he started talking. I heard a pronounced Southern accent and thought to myself, well, he's clearly not Jewish. As I struggled to understand him, I wondered what this dude from the Deep South was doing at an Israel event. There is a well-known Talmudic expression known in English with a book metaphor instead of a kettle. Al tistakel bakankan el bo. Don't look at a kettle, but rather at its contents. I'm embarrassed to admit how wrong I was and, quite frankly, am ashamed for making such superficial assumptions. Sam has proven to be one of the sharpest, most insightful, and funniest people I know, a cherished member of the Jewish community, and I count him as a dear friend. And for the purposes of this podcast and getting to know Jewish journeys, his is a fascinating one. Sam is not Jewish and yet is raising an amazing Jewish family. As I was thinking of the podcast guest this year, I knew I wanted to speak to him. Welcome to Seeking Sinai, the monthly podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta, where we explore the great spiritual questions of our day. We continue our exploration of Jewish journeys on a quest to inspire and derive meaning from the amazing people around us. We are here today on July 6th with Sam Elrod, a congregant and highly involved member of our sacred community. Ruchim Abayim, welcome from wherever you are listening. I'm Rabbi Natan, Director of Adult Learning. I'm happy you're with us. Sam, thanks so much for coming to speak to us. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Sam, uh, as I mentioned before, you are a dear friend to me, and I love your family very much. I hope I didn't offend you with that opening vignette. Not at all. Not at all. Um, Not surprised to hear it. I've gotten the, well, he's not Jewish reaction a lot, and it it doesn't offend me in the least. Um, I'm glad I have an accent. I'm proud to have it. It sets me apart, even in Atlanta and even in the construction industry where I work, um, two places you would expect it to fit in somewhat. But as much as I like it, I hate to hear it on tape. <laughs> so while I like to think I've got a very elegant, cultured accent like uh, Shelby Foote, the historian on the Civil War documentary, it's more like Jethro Clampett or Gomer Pyle. You know, I, I know a couple of those references. I've got to look up uh, another one. But you're probably not unique in that. I feel like we, we all hate our, our voices when we listen back to it. Yes, that's something I've always dealt with, and, and it's much ado about nothing. <laughs> uh, so tell me um, a little bit about your uh, quote-unquote Jewish journey. So my Jewish journey is more or less a, a simple love story. So growing up in a place where there were no Jewish people at all to speak of. Um, I went to Georgia Tech for college when I was 18, and honestly my assumption was probably that since I wasn't particularly committed to the Southern Baptist tradition in which I grew up, that I would hopefully meet a fancy Presbyterian or Episcopalian girl and and marry her 
and raise my kids in, in that tradition. Um, I met Dana my fifth year of college. We hit it off. It was probably our third or fourth date that she told me she was Jewish, um, which, you know, early 20s, that was not a big deal to me then, certainly not <clears throat> very long. Um, a couple dates later, she said, well, I'll certainly be raising my kids Jewish, and I never had a second thought. Did not have any idea that that journey would lead me to a synagogue, to a congregation I'd be involved in. I didn't know that Jewish day schools or summer camps existed, um, but now I'm with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I'm neck deep in both of those, <laughs> and I could not be happier about the, the world my kids are growing up in. Wow, beautiful. Uh, so five dates into it, you, you learned that she was Jewish. A few dates late, later, you learned that this was going to be a lifelong enterprise. That's right. Um, so you, uh, you mentioned your, your upbringing in Dallas, Georgia, and how you didn't really know any Jews there. Or perhaps there, there weren't any Jews there. If someone told you that you were going to be very active in a synagogue when you were older, what, what would you have, how would you have reacted then? So I looked it up. In 1990, when I was five years old, there were 40,000 people in Paulding County, and I bet there were 200 churches. You've been out there. You've seen how many churches there are on every corner, it seems. Um, almost everybody I knew was Baptist. I, my family rotated between three churches, the church in town I went to with my parents, my dad's family's church, where my uncle's still a preacher, and my mother's family's church, which was way out in the country. Um, we knew a few Methodist people. I didn't meet a Catholic person before I went to college. So knowing the fundamentals of what the people around you believed wasn't very important as a child because we all pretty much went to the same churches and believed the same thing. Um, so in, in short, I wouldn't have understood the statement. But you wouldn't you, have understood the question the, at all. Right. When are they going to build a synagogue in Dallas? Because I'll be here for the rest of my life. Uh, did you have any uh, any preconceived notions uh, about Jews, or, or literally it was so far from your sphere of, of influence and being? No preconceived notions at all. Um, I wouldn't have understood a Jewish reference or a Jewish joke on television if it had slapped me in the face. Um, I didn't realize there was such a thing as a Jewish last name until I was in my early 20s. If a celebrity was not listed in the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler, I wouldn't have known that anybody was Jewish. So it, it was a completely foreign thing to me and probably most of the people that I grew up around. Wow. Wow. Um, so what, uh, like, obviously a lot changes in college for all of us, and, and, you, and you met Dana. What did, it, what did it mean to start dating someone J Jewish? Or, or at that point, your, your world was so much more expanded, and, and it simply didn't register as, as a difference? So Dana is interesting um, in that her parents were both born and raised in what is now Zimbabwe in Southern Africa. All four of her grandparents, I guess three of her four grandparents, were born in different countries in Eastern Europe. Um, so in addition to, to being different from me because she was Jewish, she was so much more worldly than I was. She has cousins all over the world. Everybody I'm related to lives in two counties in Northwest <laughs> Georgia. So as I'm learning about her Jewishness and, and that aspect of her upbringing, uh, I'm also learning about other elements of her culture that I wouldn't have been familiar with that weren't necessarily Jewish at all. Um, so I guess it would be like drinking out of a fire hose. There's a lot to learn about this person who I hope to spend the rest of my life with. Um, 
both from a Jewish perspective and non-Jewish. And not just the connections to uh, uh, Zimbabwe, but also uh, her father is a is a veteran of the of the IDF, right? That, that's correct. That's correct. So very interesting background um, for all members of her family. You know, completely. I didn't realize there were people like that in the United States, um, much less Atlanta, where I was going to college. That there were people with that kind of migrant background. You know, that I'd soon be meeting and getting to know he uh he served in the yom kippur war in, that, in israel i believe so yes so um uh taking a little bit of a different direction now i know you had um you were you had a religious upbringing in terms of going to church and just kind of doing what what, what other folks did uh in dallas georgia what um what role did god faith or spirituality play in your upbringing it was a big role. We were, we were in church two and three times a week, Sunday mornings. Um, you'd go to Sunday school, then you'd go to the big service with all the grown-ups. Um, sometimes you'd go Sunday night, and the youth group on Wednesday night was a big part of, of my upbringing. Um, you know, I do think that having a value system based in a religious tradition is extremely important. Um, you know, I believe in a omniscient creator but at this point I'm pretty far removed from the traditions of my upbringing and I haven't officially done the homework to join the traditions of my wife and kids but uh, it's still very important and like I said it was always a foregone conclusion that my kids would be raised in, in some aspect of religion although I wouldn't have guessed it was Judaism until I met Dana. So, so that I mean, that's one of the, the 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 main things I wanted to talk about. Like, what? So, what's it like raising a family? Like, you're you're raising a completely Jewish family with two amazing Jewish kids. Like, what's that like raising them in a in a faith or part of, as part of a culture that is not technically your own? I'm immensely proud of it. Um, having my kids be a part of that tradition and have the ability to be raised in a way where they're confident and able to put their own stamp on it is very important to me and I'm very proud of it. You know, I took a genealogy test a few years back and I'm 98% British, Irish, Northwest European and 0.0% Ashkenazi Jewish. Mm -hmm. But the fact that my kids can take their place here and, and be proud of it is very important to me. I love that idea of um, uh, just a, a pride in your upbringing and also placing the, w the way you put it was so beautiful, like placing their own stamp on it. Uh, knowing both of your kids, I, I have no doubt that they will do that and are already doing that. They're already putting a stamp on something. <laughs> uh, so I remember one of my first experiences with your family uh, is when your family actually just began uh, when, uh, when your son Asher was born. I attended uh, his bris. I, I imagine that that could have been a strange experience for you. What was that ritual like, the bris? So it was very emotional for me, um, much more emotional than I'm used to being. You know, Asher's my first kid. He's my only son. Um, being in that room, it's hard to parse out what, whether what I was feeling was entirely ritual-based or just the overwhel overwhelming feelings of love from being in this house full of people there to celebrate your offspring. Um, but certainly hearing the rabbi's words and understanding my child's place in that tradition was, was a big part of what I was feeling that day. 
Wow, I, I, I have goosebumps hearing you uh, describe it that way. Um, you, you, you seemed, I, I remember, you, you seemed very smooth. You seemed very, <laughs> very calm and collected. Well, you know, a little aside when the, the Moyle said, you know, traditionally the father does have the ability to participate in this next part. <laughs> I, looked, I was never going to do that, yeah, but my hands were shaking shake. so bad <laughs> that it, it, um, it was, if they were shaking any less, it wouldn't have been so funny. But that did break the ice a little bit. So I feel like usually the experience is much worse on the mother than than it is on the father. Was, we were glad our second one was going to be a girl. <laughs> Let, uh, likewise, we followed the same path with uh, <laughs> with a right. boy first and then a girl. Much easier the second time around with a girl. Uh, have there been any um, any challenging moments, uh, strange or uncomfortable ones, related to your family's Jewish path? And and what's been uh, conversely, what's been the the biggest. Uh, um, most pleasant surprise? I will say that since my kid's mother is Jewish and by the most stringent and exclusive definitions of Judaism, they're still in, they're included, I guess my answer is going to be no. Um, I've, not, I've not been made to feel uncomfortable. Now, if there were a scenario where Dana or the kids felt uncomfortable because of my background or my heritage, you know, that would make me extremely unhappy, and I've got a long memory. But a pleasant surprise is that that scenario has never arisen in, you know, since my son's been born. We, uh, we often, uh, we're talking about feeling included and not feeling uncomfortable. We, we often use that word, many synagogues use that word uh, inclusive, like we are an inclusive reform synagogue. Um, have you ever... Have, have you always felt included here in this building, or have you encountered other ignorant Northeasterners who judge you based on your accent instead of the content of your character? So, Dana grew up in a different synagogue here in Atlanta, um, conservative, that when we became engaged, I don't know if she asked or if she already knew, I don't remember that detail, but well, they were not going to marry us. Um, they would not perform the ceremony to wed Dana and I. So I know Dana did a little bit of research, and very quickly Temple Sinai um, and Rabbi Brad specifically were brought up as, as people we should go to. And that stood in direct contrast with a place that had just told me that I was not welcome and this ceremony would not be blessed in their building. So from that perspective, I instantly felt very welcome at Temple Sinai. And that feeling has only increased from the day we got married and, and accelerated once we had kids and became involved in the preschool. Um, a ton of my friends are here. And, you know, I've known you and Sam since y'all got to Atlanta. And a big part of mine and Dana's and our kids' social life revolves around this place. And I could not ask for more, you know, from a house of worship regardless of religion or congregation. This is the best I could have ever hoped for, no matter which direction I went in as an adult. Amazing to hear. Um, so you, you've you been very involved. Uh, like the, this past year, one of Sinai's major initiatives has been this culture of belonging. You've been in, very involved in this. Uh, how has that experience been? It was extremely gratifying to be asked to be included. Um, I think that the congregation should be extremely impressed that that was an initiative that was conceived and acted upon 
um, by the leadership here, um, by the lay leaders as well, that feeling important or the feeling included is so important to everybody because while I've never really felt like an outsider, um, I don't usually feel like an outsider in any room I step into, but I know there are people that do feel that way. And preventing that is the biggest thing that I think a congregation or group of people can do to to encourage growth, both in numbers and internally. So, I'm uh, I'm glad it was a positive experience. You know, one one thing on this podcast, like I, I don't know what anyone's going to answer, so it's very possible that you could have answered. <laughs> no, Man, no, no. It, it was terrible. This place is I, awful. I I wish I had more to contribute. But I do. There were a couple of instances there where I was happy with with what I was able to provide to the group, and hopefully the rest of the group feels that my participation was a net positive. So let's talk. Um, let's kind of zoom out and talk a little bit more um, about the broader Jewish world. Like you have a very interesting perspective as very much an insider, but also kind of an outsider as well. What do you think is the is the greatest challenge facing the Jewish world now? Knowing what I've learned, you know, about Judaism and, and numbers and populations and the requirements to feel and be considered Jewish, strange to say, but I guess there is a demographic problem of which I'm a symptom and potentially a solution. Um, any religion or group of people or affinity group is, is a generation away from not existing if the people in it can't be bothered to care to pass it on. Um, and I know that's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Um, you know, here I see a thriving congregation. I see a ton of kids. I see kids very involved in Jewish life, you know, including my own. I don't see that being a, a dire issue, but it, it you've got to keep those numbers up and you've got to keep your kids interested and you've got to make sure the places they go into are welcoming enough for them to want to be a part of. Wow. Um, so uh, uh, in terms of, uh, well, first of all, I guess I'll just say that you're definitely part of the solution uh, just by, by virtue of raising Jewish kids uh, solution entirely. But um, what about Israel? Like I, I know I mentioned in the opening story how, how we met around an Israel event. Uh, have you ever been to Israel? What, uh, what's your, what's the fir- your first reaction when you hear the, the, the name Israel? So somewhat famously, at least amongst a few people around here, I've not been to Israel. Um, Dane and I were signed up to be part of a honeymoon Israel trip, which I guess for anybody that's not familiar, I think it's similar to Birthright. It's an all expenses paid trip for newly married couples to go to Israel within the first five years of marriage. Um, Dane and I were signed up to go in December of 2017. We were supposed to go with you. Correct. I, I, I think Sam was the rabbi, and I, you were going to be on the trip. That's yeah. We met at a precursor dinner prior to that. Dana was pregnant with Asher. The week we were supposed to go, she got extremely sick. And we held on hope for a couple days that we'd get to go, but ultimately we knew with her being pregnant that would have been a terrible idea. Um. We called, we canceled. They said, don't worry about it. You just, we'll hold a spot for you. Feel free to, to sign up anytime in the next five years. Well, six years later, I've still not been to Israel, and we'll probably definitely get to go, but I'll be paying 
for four <laughs> to get there. <laughs> it, it won't be a highly subsidized trip. In That's lux- correct. In luxury That's hotels. That's correct. <laughs> so uh, I'll figure out my own way to get there, but I'll certainly be there soon. Um, in terms of you know what I think when I hear Israel, you know, growing up the way I did, you know, Israel's the the Christian holy land. It's you see it on TV every Easter when the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie comes on when you're at Grandma's house for dinner. Um, you know, and it's reserved by God for his chosen people. Um, now, with the perspective of a grown man, um, Israel is and should be a, a beacon to the Middle East and the world. Um, economic, technological powerhouse and that's a, a testament to the Jewish people that have built it over the last 70, 75 years. Exactly. Well, so speaking of uh, of Israel and America, this, as you know, is a very is a very polarized time now. Like divisions are are increasing among all of us, whether different uh, religious groups, denominations, uh, ethnic origins, everything. Uh, fault lines are, uh, are 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 revealing all the time. What's your what's your is, is unity greater unity even uh, a, a, a possibility? Like, what are your thoughts on, on on that? It should be a priority. I hope it's still a possibility, but it, it it seems more difficult with each passing day. And like you said, it's not just Israel. It's not just America. It's not just politics. People have found a way to sort themselves into groups that they're comfortable with, to the detriment of their participation in the wider. I guess society, and they're drawing those lines, putting themselves in these compartments, and you know, being really bad to everybody else outside of it. And I just—it's simplistic to say, but you know, I interact with a lot of different people in a lot of different walks of life. You know, to this day, you know, through walking a job site, walking the, meeting the trades on construction projects. If if people could just remove themselves from their silos every once in a while and talk to the people they're with. Things are not the, as bad as you would assume watching the news every day. They just can't be. So how do we how do we do that? You know, you and I are in fairly similar life stages. We, uh, we, we each have two kids uh, the same ages. How do we raise kids that aren't part of that problem and, like, help bring this world together and, 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 and help to, to, to solve these problems of division and polarization i think making sure that our kids are comfortable being around and talking to anybody they might encounter um you know whether it's in school whether it's in the jobs they'll go to eventually you know if you're not scared to talk to somebody you can get somebody else to open up to you very quick and you can figure out what their motivations are you can figure out what you know, what moves them, what doesn't, what they're scared of. I just think, and I think it's kind of built in for my kids because they'll spend time in Paulding County with my parents and, you know, we'll have a a place to go visit out there pretty frequently. They'll have the opportunity to talk to those kids. Um, And and so I'm grateful for that. But, uh, you know, I think just not being afraid to talk to someone that could be vastly different from yourself is a big part of that. 
Sometimes it's just so easy. I think you used the word silo before. Sometimes it's so easy just getting siloed away and forgetting about the vast world. And then when you hear different opinions, when you hear different accents, for, for, for instance, you immediately rush to conclusions or judgment instead of actually like hearing the person and listening and, and establishing bonds. Um, a final question. Uh, what do you like most about Judaism and what do you like least about Judaism? So... The, the thing I like most without question is, is the commitment to learning, the, the curiosity, um, the commitment to education for people and, and for their kids. Um, that, that means a lot. We're sitting in a beautiful library that, that's kind of a testament to that. You're not going to find this in, in a lot of the churches that I went to, either in terms of space or just the diversity of the material here. Um, so this is great, and it, it really stands for that. Um, what I like least, this is not a criticism of a criticism of anything or anybody. It's just something that it actually goes hand in hand with my answer to the last question. Um, people are motivated to live in the places where they can best provide for their families and take the best opportunities. And for obvious reasons, the Jewish people have, have, are very adept at that. What that means as we live in a very vibrant place like Sandy Springs that's got a thriving population of a lot of different kind of people. There are millions of kids in thousands of cities and towns growing up like I did that are never going to meet a Jewish person. And, you know... It, I don't know, that, that's a problem in search of a solution that's not necessarily easy to get to. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, you, you can't make someone understand what you're like if, if you're not around them. Great, fair point. Sam Elrod, thank you uh, so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. The Jewish people, as is Temple Sinai, is much stronger for having you as a member, and we are indebted to you and so many others like you for helping raise the next generation, as you said, of proud um, and strong Jews in our community who will leave their stamps on everything that they do. And this has just been a pleasure, so refreshing talking to you as every time when I speak to you. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. And Chaz Cloud, thank you for your expert editing, publishing, Beth Schaefer for the opening and closing music. And for our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai Atlanta. If you have any burning questions about anything that we've discussed, please let us know. This is not just a conversation live via podcast. It's also one across time and medium. So please make yourself a part of it. Our next episodes will continue to span some diverse voices, Jewish journeys to challenge and to inspire. Until then, Setchem de Shalom, go in peace. Peace.